Hey, um, today I have a really, really cool guest on. She's super cool. <laughs> and I know she'll listen back to this, so you are super cool. Um, and that is Posture Ellie, um, or Eleanor Burt, uh, which is her more formal name. Um, and we, ugh, I can't even get my words out, but we have such a great chat on this podcast. And I love talking to Ellie. She's so fascinating. She's so... Uh, she just knows her stuff and like sometimes with what Ellie knows and what she teaches it really can kind of conflict with the fitness industry and we kind of talk about this as well and I talk very openly about you know certain things that I disagree with in the fitness industry and that kind of thing. So in this podcast you're going to get a lot of information about posture, how you can improve your posture, what the things what things are going wrong within the fitness industry that we that she thinks we could do better and um, we also talk about babies and we also talk about um just loads just listen to it it's a good podcast and ellie is amazing um i've popped all of her information in the show notes so if you are interested in working with ellie i highly recommend it I've worked with her for a couple of years now and I just want to keep going back for more. Um, and yeah, so I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, Ellie will also ask uh, answer your questions in her DMs on Instagram as well. So if you want to drop her a message or drop her an email, then you can do. Um, but yeah, reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts about this podcast because it's a, a little bit different. And, um, and I hope you enjoy. So I'm going to click Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. Today I have a very, very special guest on and that is Eleanor Burt or Posture Ellie. <laughs> Posture Ellie as uh, we all will know her or if you don't know her you will. Um, and we are going to be talking to you about posture, pain, mobility, basically all of it but it will come more clear to you what this podcast is about when we go through it and what we talk about in detail so without further ado Ellie can you just like introduce yourself who are you what do you do how do you operate what kind of clients do you see etc sure and I've just said to Angie that she has to make sure that she reins me in often through this podcast because I talk a lot so control me Angie I'm like a horse but you've got to pull back um so my name is Ellie and as you said my sort of business name is Posture Ellie and I am a postural alignment therapist and there aren't that many of us in the UK or actually in the world as a whole we do something that's kind of niche and it doesn't mean that I'm some amazingly well-trained and sort of fantastically amazing person that does something really really special it's just that what I do is not very well known and it basically I sorry I am basically working to improve people's posture and when I say I'm helping people improve their posture I'm not telling them to stand up straight or to sit up straight or to walk a certain way I am teaching their whole body to move better as a unit. So I am basically in my head when I'm sort of assessing people, looking at their whole body, looking at their shoulder, looking at their elbow, looking at their hip, looking at their spine, looking at their knee, looking at their ankle, et cetera, and seeing how well each of those various components move. And if they have the capacity to move in the way 
in which the body is designed to do so. Um, so by improving these ranges of movement in all these different places, you create more balance, more symmetry and better alignment across the body, which then results in that typical judgment of what we think posture is so you know when people hear the word posture they think someone's standing up really straight and sort of rigid not that we want to stand up rigid but that standing well sitting well walking well comes as a byproduct of better movement throughout the whole body so I'm helping people improve their posture through corrective movements that is tailored to them as an individual depending on what they have going on amazing hopefully that's concise enough yes and how like how do you see clients how does it I guess how does it work like how does postural alignment therapy work and how okay. do you treat people so I work entirely via zoom um nowadays so I'm working with people all over the world like literally all over the world Australia America India all over um and of all sorts of ages so Lots of people will have been led to believe by various existing establishments that the problems that they have are an inevitability due to their age, their genetics um, and things like that. And actually, I don't live in that world. I don't believe that for most people. Um, I think that anything can be improved upon if we are focusing on the right things rather than focusing on the wrong things. So I'm dealing with people literally with all sorts of conditions. You've named it. I've helped people with it, but I'm not helping them with the condition itself. So that leads me on to what I'm about to say. So when I work with people one to one, what I ask them to do at the beginning is to send me a list of like the symptoms and things they have going on. It might be that they have migraines. They might have um, sort of a degenerative hip. They might have Achilles tendonitis. They might have something opathy or osis. The medical world likes to give complicated names to things that aren't really that complicated most of the time. And I'm taking stock of these things because those things feeling better are my marker of progress and my client's marker of progress but I'm not focusing on those things at all. So where the person hurts isn't of interest to me other than the fact that it markers our progress, whether or not we're doing something good for the body or bad for the body. And what would happen in the one-to-one -one appointments with me is the client comes, they've sent that information, they send me some photos, I look through their posture photos and I identify where their body looks the most off. So is it that their upper body is really, really rounding forward? Do they have a rotation through their rib cage or a rotation through their pelvis? Are their knees collapsing in? Are their feet collapsing? That type of thing. And the pictures are helpful, but they are not all encompassing. So they give me ideas as to where I want to start, but they don't tell me the full picture. And then through movement tests that I would do via Zoom, like we are here, I would start establishing where I think I need to start with this person. So are their feet the weakest part of their body? Are their glutes the weakest part of their body? Is the stiffness in the thoracic spine the thing that is impacting their body the most? So by these kind of very logical, simple tests, I'm figuring out the order in which this person needs to be sorted out and then when we've decided that i am giving them exercises which i'll walk them through um, on the computer and then i send them through afterwards to do in their own time i am sending them exercises that are suitable and appropriate for their body 
their limitations, the amount of pain they're in, their immobility, et cetera, et cetera. And then they basically have to do that homework uh, for me in between appointments and ideally on a sort of daily or at least every other day basis, because the more you do them, the better you're going to feel. And these exercises will look to rewire how that body works and interacts with itself. So you will go from moving in such a way at the beginning of the process and then hopefully like a few weeks, a few months in, because you've been asking this new demand um, of your body with the exercises, things are going to start feeling a bit different. So your knees are going to start kind of buckling in quite so much. Your pelvis isn't going to rotate as a compensation for a lack of hip flexion, for example, um, and this type of thing. So it's, it's rewiring how people's bodies move through corrective exercises that are suited to that person's existing posture to create postural changes going forward I'll rein it in there <laughs> <laughs> amazing and for anyone who wants some inside information I've been working with Ellie myself for a couple of years now and um, I never really I think we just did a posture alignment like assessment just to see where I was at so I could understand more about what you did yeah but when I went to Ellie, I kind of said, you know, I've had niggles over the years. I'm not in constant pain because I think a lot of the clients that you see are in aggressive pain. You know, they're at the severe, you know. It's, severe a, real, it's a real mix. It's a, it's a mix. Like there are some people that can barely do anything without having lots of pain. And then there are people which are, who are generally feeling fine, but they can't run because their knee always hurts when they run, for example. Yeah. And um I sort of went to Ellie and I, I, I have known and I was diagnosed with scoliosis when I was about seven years old and then I've done gymnastics and stuff. And I was always told you've got scoliosis, you can't fix it, like just deal with it. And obviously over the years, I kind of just forgot about it, carried on. It didn't really cause me any issues. And then I would, you know, run into injuries, et cetera. And anyway, when I went to see Ellie, she kind of pointed out, yes, you have got scoliosis, but the, it's not the end of the world. And it, it kind of gave me, you know, I was able to see forward because even though in certain exercises you know I resistance train and I think what I do is very kind of box training it's like lunge to the left forward and back and that kind of thing and I would notice that I would have a hip shift and that kind of thing but what it's enabled me to do is see that actually that's not the end result like I can change the way my body moves and yeah. in terms of pain like I have experienced when I started working with Ellie, like we'd work on something to get something activated as such. And then, you know, I might run into another injury and that's happened a couple of times throughout our kind of um, relationship. And last year I injured my shoulder and that was a stupid accident. And it, what was really interesting is Ellie pointed out to me, you know, your shoulder may be injured, but it's actually probably a consequence of like your left foot not working properly. And that is so bizarre when, when you know if you go and see a physio or a chiropractor or something they will treat the issue they'll treat your shoulder keep going after your shoulder whereas Ellie kind of works down the chain and I love that because you're doing something on your foot that's fixing essentially your shoulder and it's just bizarre and I think for a lot of people when I explain what Ellie does they're like I don't get it but you kind of have to just be really open to it. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah. I would agree. I find it, and I just said to you before we started filming, I do find it really difficult um, to it, like explain exactly what I do because you have to experience it, I think, to have these things come together and make sense. You know, I am not 
an Eastern medicine practitioner. I'm not talking about like chi and meridians and stuff like that. You know, I'm not saying my opinion on that stuff. This isn't um, sort of hokum. It, it's it's literally there are chains of muscles in your body that start at one point and finish at the other. And therefore, you have to be able to work these chains of muscles in certain ways in order to be able to move in a functional way so that you are pain free, like you moving your left foot better. It's not magic that your right shoulder better, make, sorry, feels better. It's absolutely logical and makes sense when you can see what the anatomy is doing through the body from those two points. And, you know, every person's going to be different. You might have had your right shoulder injury because you're overloading that right hand side because your body's avoiding your left foot. But for somebody else, their right shoulder might have come from the fact that they can't move their right hand or their neck is stuck or whatever it might be. So everyone's different. And that's why the symptoms are so unhelpful, because you can literally have four people in a line who've all got right knee pain and they have all got right knee pain for completely different root cause issues. So the kind of, I guess, a normal in inverted commas approach of tackling that right knee is let's strengthen the quad. Let's put some needles in the knee. Let's kind of crack you so that you're in position. And I'm not um, being negative or taking away from any of those things, because in my experience, if something's making someone feel better, then that's great. But if you're not changing the movement problem that's causing that in the first place, you're always going to wind yourself back up to the beginning stage. You know, you might feel better temporarily, but if it is that left foot that's causing it and you haven't treated the left foot, the right knee is going to start hurting again. So you can have four people in front of you, all with the same symptom, but completely different reasons. And therefore, there is no uniform um, umbrella approach to fixing right knee pain because it completely depends on what the rest of the body does and like you said it feels bizarre to you and it was all bizarre to me at the beginning until I started understanding it more and then I guess I become a bit um, not complacent but you just become so used to uh, these weird connections and having people every day being like oh my god I've moved my big toe and now my, I don't have my uh, TMJ anymore I've got so used to it that sort of nothing surprises me anymore but for my clients it's just like eureka you know you see it on their face when they're sort of figuring it out like oh my god I've just wasted decades trying to stretch out my lower back and this whole time it was because my left shoulder wasn't moving properly I have been completely focusing on the bit that's tight or the bit that hurts, mm. not the bit that isn't working or the bits that aren't working, which is really what I'm doing. Sorry, yeah. going on. No, that was amazing. And I think that's why I really love working with you because if I do have a particular client in pain, I kind of try to tend to point them to Ellie's way because you know, in the PT world, the fitness industry, if somebody's got a weak lower back or is in pain with their lower back, you know, there's two ways that we kind of approach it, go for the glutes or go for the core. But actually if somebody, has got you know a weak or painful lower back because they're not extending their hips properly and they have you know they're not able to um yeah get get you know their hips activated as such like we're giving them exercises that are hip dominant but they're not it's not working it's not working yeah. because they're not able to reach that full hip extension so yeah it just it makes so much sense but you have to be open to it and a lot of people listening to this are going to be like oh no but you know I still go I like to go to my physio or I like to have this massage and that kind of thing and there's nothing wrong with those methods but sometimes if you've been doing that thing going to see that particular person etc for such a long time and it's still not fixing it then 
maybe you do need to open your eyes to a different way of thinking um okay so let's like I don't know let's backtrack a little bit where do you think like people's pain mostly stems from like where does it all go wrong we come out the womb we're babies we move amazingly then what happens like why do we get into such a funk and into so much pain school um in a in a one word short answer so no no school did you you say cool yeah no school School. it's just like a one word answer like school (laughs) sorry I think you went cool and I was like I didn't say that um so most children as you said most children there are exceptions but I believe not that many are born almost perfectly and you see it in the way that little kids move you know when they start walking when they're moving around they're in that deep squat for ages they're rolling around on the floor they're having a wonderful time they're so robust they're so flexible they're so mobile they're so strong that is what the human body is designed to be like and if we were nomadic hunter-gatherers as our musculoskeletal systems have designed to be to have um our bodies would continue along that journey we would continue to be robust mobile strong etc what happens is the western world intervenes from a really really young age and people lose sight or aren't aware of the difference between what is an inevitability due to age versus what is a dramatic interception of your future due to the lifestyle and the environment in which you live but a sedentary lifestyle is so normalized in our world that everyone has the same issues because we're all having the same lifestyle and the same environment from such a young age so things like how long your parents allow you to crawl for for example will make a massive difference as to how well your muscles develop if you have parents who are obsessed with showing off how early you walked to all of their friends you will be bypassing developmental stages in like your cord muscular development and like your hips and things like that. Crawling is really, really important. So if a child is standing too early, they will already be losing this good posture because the body hasn't been allowed to to develop at the right pace. If the child is encouraged to wear shoes too early and the type of shoes that it's wearing will then impact the development of its like feet and its legs. Then when the child is playing around and being rambunctious, we get told that we need to sit still and be quiet. And that's what good kids do. And we're stripping this muscular function slowly, slowly, slowly out of this child's body that when they are nowadays like 20 years old, maybe you are left with all of these kids that have just been sat down for so long, didn't necessarily get that muscular development in the way that they should have done in the first place. They're stiff they're getting pain and we think that's age but like you know and I can't say um sort of I guess in my own personal experience because I'm 33 and I'm not like 83 but Peter Goskew who's the guy um who sort of developed the Agoskew method which is what my practice is based upon he has said that over the years that he's been doing this like once upon a time people got to age 50 and then they would expect to be in pain now people get to age 30 and most people 
people have got something that's bothering them. And I see it that probably in five years time, it's going to be 15 year olds, 16 year olds that are in chronic amounts of pain because they're just not moving enough from the moment that they're born. Um, and this isn't genetics. This isn't something that our body is designed to do. The human body is amazing. And you see these like 100 year old yogis in India who have done yoga their whole lives. And so they've maintained that um, mobility. And look how well they can move. They are not uh, alien. They are what we should all be like because they've lived the right lifestyle in order for their body to be like that. We are the ones who aren't normal because we think that the human body can sit down all day, every day for our entire lives and function well. And what happens is you've got all these dysfunctional, stiff, weak bodies, very, very crooked, imbalanced, all of this stuff sitting down all day and then these people think hmm, you know what's a good idea I'm going to train for a half marathon and then they don't do anything else but they put their trainers on which I'm going to rant most trainers are heels so they create more problems you know I bring it up yeah. um they put their heels fluffy trainers on which make their feet switch off even more and then they smash out these long runs expecting their body to be able to do this thing that requires so much poetry um, from all of the joints, your joints have to be able to talk to one another. You cannot just expect the body to behave in the way that you want it to. So we treat the human body absolutely not like a human body for most of the time, but then expect it to do these amazing feats of human movement when we want it to. And then we get shocked that we've got our knee pain or our back pain and we think, oh, this just isn't happening for me because I'm not getting older. Nothing to do with that. It's because your body's become more dysfunctional over a longer period of time. Yeah, amazing. And I just love the way that you explained that. Um, okay, so I do have a lot of mums that listen to my podcast. So if somebody's listening to this thinking, shit, you know, my kid's in Converse and I got them to like walk from, I don't know, like, six months something like that I don't know how old do kids walk <laughs> I think it well it, it depends lots of people will be absolutely delighted that their child is walking at 10 months but I think the uh, sort of normal period of time would be like about 10 months to a year and a half like I haven't had a child so I'm not sure but in my opinion the longer that you can stave that off probably the more time your child is having to you know develop all the the unsexy muscles deep within that it needs in order for it to um, be able to walk better when it actually does start walking. Yeah, that's, uh, and do you know what? No one's ever told me that. So that's really interesting to hear. Um, but say if somebody has got a child, you know, they, they walked from a very early age, they're now gamers and, you know, they're 10, year, 10 years old or whatever. And they're now a little bit concerned about, oh God, what's, you know, what's the longevity of my child's uh, non pain-free life or whatever my their pain-free life like how how can we prevent our children from like basically evolving into pain and more pain <laughs> well firstly um the good news is is that literally anybody can make improvements at any age the sooner that you can nip it in the bud the better but equally if you're dealing with younger children their motivation levels are not going to be the same and you know they're not going to concentrate perhaps quite so much they're not going to have that sort of like commitment to do the exercises so I get that but the good news is is that no matter what age you're starting from or no matter how much pain you're starting from 
if you put in the work and as you said you're open-minded that these changes can happen because it is really important like in order to change you have to believe that you can change you're not going to change if you think it's hopeless um anybody can make any differences so no one is ever too far gone if they're willing to do the work but secondly i think the best thing that we can do in order to help our children is by leading is leading by example ourselves i think that there are lots of adults who um you know tell their children to get off their phone or tell their children to stop gaming get off the tv and go and play outside or do more exercise but if those adults aren't doing that themselves if children learn by example how do we expect them to act differently than how we are expecting um, than we are acting sorry so i think the best thing that you could do if you want to get your kid like moving more functionally or moving more full stop is to focus on that more yourself because you know as i said i don't have children but i see lots of my friends have got children and like as soon as you do something they're just so curious aren't they you know you're doing a downward dog on the floor and then the kids emulating you and getting involved and all that stuff and i think that's the best way to encourage your kids to move more is by moving more yourself creating an environment at home where we aren't just sitting in chairs the whole time you know like angie's been to my house we have very few chairs which is perhaps annoying when you're a visitor in the house but like me and my boyfriend just don't sit on chairs much and i will continue to do that however weird people think you'll be happy to know i'm sat on the floor right now <laughs> oh well then as am i um yeah no, and you know people might think you're crazy i think the world that we live in is crazy you know we're all creating mega disabilities within ourselves because of these environments that we're living in and yet we we think the people that do the things to keep them pain free are the weird ones so i'd rather be weird than in pain and mm -hmm. um, so i don't know if that's helpful or not but kids are kids are difficult because what i do is is harder for younger uh, people just because it requires them to have that accountability and want to do the work themselves so i think in general the best thing that you could do as a parent is to lead by example yeah I love that okay um we had a good so I went to go and visit Ellie this weekend but we had a good natter about this uh, topic that came up that from one of my clients actually I thought it'd be great to talk about on the podcast and we've kind of discussed a, a little bit so I'm just going to ask you the question your thoughts on people's genetic makeup posture and hip bones so basically a client had um sort of messaged me and said you know I've got wide hips a large bum a large and large thighs and very slim waist and slim arms can I do anything about it or am I doing something wrong and me and Ellie kind of talked about the different avenues of this and I thought it would be amazing for Ellie to kind of explain her views on this because you know we're talking about a typical pear-shaped woman and from my perspective like in the PT world, we would say, well, you know, it's partly down to genetics and it's partly down to, you know, the fact that sometimes that's just the way you are. You're made up this way, but you kind of had a different view on that. So can you talk to us about yeah. your view? So I am not, well, I am completely mad. I'm not completely mad in that, <laughs> I am mad. I'm not completely mad in that, of course, genetics are a thing i believe in genes i'm going to put that out there i believe that there is such thing as genetics however i think that genetics is over emphasized it's it's passed off and it's not by it by the way it's not the people themselves saying this is my genes i can't do anything about it it's the 
uh, sort of the medical models, it's the literature, it's the things that we read make us think that I have scoliosis, my mum had scoliosis, therefore it's genetic. No, that there's absolutely no correlation there whatsoever. You and your mum might move in similar ways and have similar lifestyles, which has caused your scoliosis. You weren't both born with exactly the same scoliosis. That's not a genetic thing. So and, the, and also another key one for that, by the way, is bunions. People love to say that they have a bunion because their mother or their grandmother had a bunion. Again, it not correlate. Sorry, there's no like there's no causation there genetically. It's a correlation between the way that you walk, the shoes that you wear, the lifestyle that you lead. So genetics exist. And I said this to you on Saturday. Genetics exist. But you probably heard this phrase before. And I am pinching this from somebody else. I don't know who it is. Your genetics load the gun but your lifestyle pulls the trigger. And you could have, I think, two twins that have exactly the same genetic components in their bodies, in the various systems in their body. And depending on what happens in those twins' lives and how they eat, how they move, how much they sleep, how stressed they are, all of this stuff, they could have completely different body types. They could have completely different health conditions. One of them might end up getting um, type two diabetes. The other one might not. Um, and that type of thing. And I just think that I prefer to live in the world where actually your genetics are not the thing that is an inevitability. Because if you think you cannot change, you won't change. It comes back to what I said earlier on. And if you have that glimmer of hope of, okay, so 10 people have previously told me um, I am this shape and I can never change it but I'm going to choose to listen to Ellie and give it a chance and see how it goes. You'll be really pleasantly surprised as to how much kind of change you can make in the shape of your body. So yes, I believe in the, is it, you'll probably know this better than me, but is it like mesomorphs? Yeah. It's somatotypes. So endomorph, ectomorph, mesomorph. Yeah. Yeah. So I very much believe in that people have, you know, people are different heights, therefore they're going to have different length uh, sort of femurs and wider shoulders or narrower hips, that type of thing. There are going to, there is going to be some sort of variability there. However, not as much, I think, as people think there is mm. and you've got this spectrum of where you could be in terms of body type and most people are more or less going to be in that middle section give or take but what you do with your body will dictate where you end up so to your point with that lady she may well be genetically pear-shaped she may well have wider hips than she does rib cage and shoulders you know if you break it down that's what being pear-shaped is wider hips and shoulders um but that doesn't mean that she couldn't create more tone through her lower body by moving differently so if she and if I was to look at pictures of her I might be able to make better judgment of this because for me it's very very obvious when I see pictures of people um what their muscles are doing. Like I can literally, I'm like that person's quad dominance. They're not using their hip flexors. They're getting really bulky in their quads. That's not necessarily a good thing because they're out of balance. They haven't got this front to back balance. The quads have locked on and they're sort of pulling them forwards, whatever it might be. Um, so people will have like stubborn bits of their body, you know, be it their belly or their butt or their calves always look bulky or their upper arms are always a bit chubby or whatever it might be. And it's like, well, your upper arms are probably a bit chubby because you're never using your biceps and your lats and your rhomboids and your trapezius muscles 
as you're moving, you might be using the, your biceps. Um, can I say that? No, you might be using your biceps, but you're not using your triceps. So you're not toning that back bit of the arm. It's not you genetically that you have chubbier arms. It's that you're not moving your body in a balanced way. So you're not creating that balance. If you're quad dominant, like I said, someone who's, oh, I've all, no matter what I do, I've always got chunky thighs. Let's have a look and see how much your feet are moving and whether or not you need to get more um, work going on from the calves upwards in order to engage the hamstrings and the glutes differently as you walk. You know, the glutes aren't working in isolation here um, or whatever. All of these muscles work in change. So I am very much of the opinion because I literally see it on a day to day basis that people can dramatically alter not just how they feel, not just their pain, but how their body holds itself and as a byproduct of that comes your fat distribution basically your fat distribution is likely to be in the places where the muscles aren't working properly and the you know the reasons for that might be different but if you're always having these areas of stubborn fat i'm willing to put money on the fact that for 99 percent of people it's because the muscles are not doing their jobs properly therefore they're not strengthening they're not toning and then they're not shifting the fat and you know from my perspective and for me personally, like a few years ago, I would say, you know, I wasn't hugely, hugely overweight, but I was definitely um, a bit overweight. And my body fat has changed, but the shape of my body has also changed quite a lot as well. So I used to tell myself before I started doing all of this and realized that it was excuses I was telling myself, I used to tell myself like, I can't do this. Like I'm always going to have cellulite on my thighs. I'm always going to have like hip dips and things like that because it's just my genetics. And it's like, no, no. When my hamstrings work better as my uh, glute med, glute min sides of the hips type, like th those types of muscles start switching on more, the hip dips go, it started, it started just completely reshaping how I thought. I thought I would always have, you know, I don't know what to call it, but like the, uh, at the side of my boob where my arm is like it would always used to bulge out the side of my bra and I also thought that was genetic but it's not I just needed to like tone up my arms and my chest a bit more so sorry once again very convoluted genetics are a thing but let's not get bogged down and think that we can't change just because we think something is genetic see what happens when you move your body differently work the muscles differently get the body doing what it should be doing, get all of the muscles responding correctly, bring that body into balance and then assess it, you know, six months, a year down the line. Because like some of my clients are sometimes really shocked when they look at their first set of pictures from the first appointment and they might be kind of hanging out in their lower back. So their belly is like sagging forwards. They're not fat, but the way in which their hips are tight is pulling them forwards at the hips sinking them into their lower back and then they're kind of just like hanging in their belly as we loosen off their hips a bit and get their glutes working a bit better and their upper back like straightening them out so that they're out of their lower back they haven't lost any weight mm. but suddenly their abdominals are engaging differently because the rib cage is in a better position but the rib cage wasn't even the problem in the first place it was the hips below it um, and they're like oh my god i look like i've been on a diet and i'm like yeah but this is what happens as your body starts balancing itself out and things are doing their jobs better, you will just feel better, but also look better. And I don't care how people look. This is not for me anything about vanity. How, if you focus on how you feel and how well your body moves and those two things 
come absolutely hand in hand. If you're feeling worse with the exercise that you're doing, then you're not moving well as you're doing that exercise. So don't do it. But I don't focus on the how people look whatsoever, but it's a wonderful byproduct if that's what's interesting to you by having this body that works better. Got it again. Sorry, I really talk a lot. No, it's great. And by the way, it's called a boob crack. Boob crack. There we go. I didn't even know that, but there we go. A bum crack and a boob crack. Um, Mine used to annoy me so much. (laughs) And like, I can vouch for this, uh, especially in terms of like changing my body shape because my my knees used to massively collapse in I used to have I what did I used to call it some kind of like I just used to call it knee fat like I used to have my knee rolled in so much that the top of my knee it almost looked like I got this like oh I remember you saying yeah Yeah. and um you know and when I first started working with Ellie I was like oh my god my knee fat has gone because my knees were actually facing in the right direction yeah and I've got what's called um I think you refer it to as tibial tibial torsion where kind of you know uh, knees are kind of rolling in and the the angle of your uh, tibia your lower bone basically in the, the bottom of your leg and when I started working with Ellie like as you all know listening to this like I love training my glutes I've always wanted bigger glutes And I'd say to her, like, my glutes don't get bigger and I'm training them really hard and getting stronger. And she was like, it's because of your posture, like your pelvis is tucked under, your bum is always going to be tucked away. And this is due to the fact that, you know, you've got this going on with your feet and you've got this going on with your knees. And it wasn't until we started to work on those things that actually my butt then popped out, you know, and I hadn't changed my training at all but my posture had changed. So my butt then lifted and it looked a lot better and, you know, it still does. So yeah, I can definitely vouch for the the changes in aesthetics as well. I'll, uh, I'll be taking a cut of commission for uh, <laughs> your future uh, glute programs because of your amazing butt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, let's talk about the fitness industry because I think this, you know, a lot of people listening to this will follow me and follow, you know, what yeah. I do in terms of the fitness industry. Where do you think we go wrong in the fitness in- industry in terms of like helping people move more? But then also yeah. essentially in some ways, like breaking people, like what can we do better in the fitness industry, do you think? Well, I guess I have to say this from the perspective of somebody who has very little involvement in the fitness industry. So I, I know that that I'm sure that there are lots of people who are doing really amazing things and probably do take my approach with what I'm about to say but if I was going to sort of generalize from like what I see and you know I um have spent time like going to the gym and stuff like that but as you know Andy I'm like I'm a class person um rather than it being that I do your type of training with like weights and stuff like that like I sort of do other stuff um and I think the problem is if I was to generalize is that people are trying to do too much too soon and um in that, uh, and like you might, and I have had personal training sessions like many years ago and without there being any assessment of how my body moved or what might be going on and what my compensations were and things like that, it was like, okay, well, here's your program. You're gonna do these lunges, you're gonna do these squats and you're gonna do X, Y, and Z. And they didn't tell me that actually like me buckling my knees in was an issue or, if I'm lifting weights, always rounding my back into flexion, I'm not using my hips, therefore my upper back's gonna get tighter and my neck's gonna hurt more because I'm not using my hips. And I think that people are 
like I said at the beginning, we've got people that are sitting down all day for decades and decades at a time, basically, going to the gym and then having these really quite high intensity workouts. And, you know, it could be cardio, various things. And their bodies simply aren't capable of performing the things that they're asking them to do. And fitness trainers, perhaps, maybe aren't recognizing that. They're not recognizing, okay, well, this person's squatting but they're compensating in so many different ways that there is absolutely no point in this person doing a squat right now because it's all over the place. They are going to end up causing more problems, wearing their knees out more, making their back more stiff. Let's break this down and give them five floor-based movements to um, sort of work on each individual range of movement that's happening in a squat and then sort of piece it back together. So I'd say number one, too much too soon like with what I do with my clients initially it's often like lots of breathing lots of relaxing like if that person's trying to move their foot and every time they move their foot they feel their whole upper body just tense up well that tells me that that uh, that person's upper body compensates for a lack of function in that foot I don't want to give that person upper body exercises because what they're going to do is they're going to strengthen this already exhausted upper body that doesn't need any more work we need to figure out ways to mobilize that foot without the upper body compensating so things need to be broken down more people need to be taught how to breathe you know you've got chronically stressed people who spend all day breathing and gasping in and out of their mouth not using their diaphragm who are then trying to do crossfit or whatever and they're not breathing diaphragmatically in and out of their nose so actually they're teaching their nervous system that they need to be more panicked and on edge and just like tense and wired um which is not good so slowing things down breaking movements down and make basically making sure that people aren't doing things um that are too difficult for them which can be surprisingly humbling i guess like i have lots of clients who do lots of sports and i'm like okay move your foot without tensing up any other bit of your body and they're like but I can't do it and I'm like you should not be running if you can't do that if you're running and expecting your feet to take this load how like why are you surprised that you're in pain whilst you're trying to do it so it can be a bit of a like a ego bruise but for the right people it's exciting because it's like oh my god I haven't looked at it this way before this is so exciting like this has given me a different avenue to um sort of focus on and I think the other problem with the fitness industry and I really don't mean to say this in a way of I'm better than everybody else because I'm fully aware of the flaws that I have and the things that I can't do movement wise lots of people teach movement who move terribly it's like frightening you've got all of these people that are battling with their own um, sort of consistent injuries and niggles and problems and it's like why on earth are these people why do they have this platform to teach movement when they're clearly not moving well themselves if we move well we're not in pain it like there isn't any other way about it you, you if you move well you're not in pain musculoskeletally and so how can we have people with disc herniations that mean that they've got sciatica or whatever teaching other people movement when they're often I think secretly battling this crisis themselves because they can't admit it to themselves because it's what their livelihood is kind of based on so I don't know I think those are the two problems Mm. too much too soon and people that don't move well themselves teaching people movement and Yes, I don't do things um, 
perfectly but I think unlike many other people I I'm aware of when I do this I know that my lower back's not quite in the right position or my knee is caving in and I won't do those things so like I do yoga many times a week never in pain by the way and I don't do the really difficult exercises that I know if I tried to do them I would compensate and it wouldn't be leading me forward so like as an example of that and I'll finish my, my rant after that but like as an example with a forearm stand for example a forearm stand is based so much on the openness and strength of your shoulders and your upper back if you let your ego take over and you're so desperate to do that forearm stand that you'll stop at nothing to achieve it, you'll kick yourself up into the forearm stand and you will just be in your lower back because you haven't got the openness across your shoulders and your upper back. So you're sinking into your lower back. And if you do that every single yoga class, every week for two years, shock horror, in two years time, you may have a back spasm because you've been compensating with that lower back in that movement. And it may have it's a movement pattern that will be repeating itself in other positions as well. But for the example of this, it's just that. I know that I could do a forearm stand like that. I have no interest in doing a forearm stand like that because I want to teach my body the right way. So I do dolphin pose. And sorry, this might not mean anything to people if you don't do yoga, but I do dolphin pose, which is like a modification of that which works entirely on opening the shoulders. My body's quivering because it's working so hard and my shoulders are stretching and all that stuff. And until the, the dolphin comes easy, that I won't be doing forearm stand until I can do dolphin well. Mm. Sorry, that was a really long rant. <laughs> no, it was great. And I think it's very much about, you know, being able to leave your ego outside the room and just, you know, being very present and being aware of how you move and and yeah not pushing yourself through that and this is the kind of thing that I ran into um I mean when we first met you know I was I was teaching at a boot camp and I just felt so much friction every single day about what we were doing because essentially you know our jobs as personal trainers is to help people get you know get moving which is great because you know yeah. people do sit down too long all day but the issue was the type of exercise that we were doing was and you know this was not my business but was high intensity so we'd have people that have been sat in an office all day long coming in and having 30 minutes of being smashed doing squats lunging press-ups that you know I was looking at these you know women thinking you shouldn't be doing these things because your knees knees are caving in you're buckling in your feet and that kind of thing and in that 30 30 minutes where we've got 30 seconds to teach an exercise there is no time to be able to teach a room of 25 women that their technique is off and this is the you know this is why I don't like high intensity training I think it's great for people who move well and I think you need to earn the right yeah I I always say this as a a quote to clients like sometimes you have to earn the right to do something and if you don't move well you haven't earned the right to do that if you are going to hit training or you know these sessions and you're coming away broken even more broken than you were before your body you need to like you said like slow the fuck down like if you can hire a PT work with somebody like me that will help you to you know teach you where your body needs to go um I love that phrase, by the way. You haven't said that to me before, but I really like that. Yeah, I completely agree. High-intensity exercise, no matter what form it takes, is amazing for your body in so many different ways if you move well. That's the caveat. Running doesn't cause your knee pain. 
CrossFit doesn't cause your shoulder pain. Cycling doesn't cause your back pain. Whatever it is that you're doing, those things aren't causing your pain. The body that you're taking them is causing your pain. And to bring it back to what we said at the beginning, what I said at the beginning, children's bodies, that robust strength, mobility, flexibility is what the human body is designed to be like almost through our entire lives. Yes, we age, but it doesn't mean that we have to become stiff, hunchback people that have no range of movement. And the bodies that can move well can do anything that they get taken to and more or less adapt to it and feel okay. But if you're compensating loads and your movement patterns are really poor, that high intensity exercise is going to feel awful. And as you, I love that phrase. Yeah, you have to do the homework beforehand for most of us to restore that movement that our lifestyles have stripped away over the course of decades, possibly. Mm-hmm. And just to anyone listening, like we don't want to like damper damper dampen your you know your efforts to get fitter this is not us saying you shouldn't be doing hit training like if that's all you can do right now we understand and we're not saying don't do it but what we're saying is be aware like if this is causing you more pain question yourself like am I doing the right type of exercise there is plenty of other options out there that might be able to be you know might be able to support you where you're at right now and working with someone like Ellie would be really helpful for you um as we're getting towards the end of this podcast now, one thing that I'm really keen on always providing to like the listeners is actionable things that they can do, you know, to take home from this podcast. So let's just talk about like the basics of how somebody can improve their posture on a daily basis. If we've got a normal like nine to five worker who drives half an hour to get to work, you know, drops the kids off, sits in a chair all day. Like what can that person do to improve their posture and get their body moving in the way that it should? So first thing is to try and spend longer, not in a sitting device. So I say sitting device because your chair is a seat. Your sofa is obviously a seat, your work chair is a seat so if you can and I believe that anyone can if they are motivated to do so spend longer not in a chair so you don't have to watch tv in a chair society tells you you have to watch tv in a chair you don't have to do that me and Angie get told off by our boyfriends we constantly are like rolling around the floor we might be watching tv and relaxing but we're stretching our hips and moving our feet and both of our boyfriends think we're crazy but you don't have to spend time in a chair just because that's what everyone else is doing. So first thing, get yourself out of your chair more. Tip number one, okay? That like easy, you can do it for 10 minutes, you can do it for 15 minutes, you can do it for 20 minutes. The more you do that, the more strong your body is going to be. Easy. Secondly, to back to shoes. Um, I'm smiling because Angie's heard this so many times. But (laughs) Uh, for many people, their shoes are crippling them and they can't see it. So um, as I said at the beginning, most shoes are heels, which give you, in inverted commas, support, which actually strips away the demand from the muscles. So the more cushioned your heel and your shoes are, uh, the less your feet are having to work, which is going to make the whole of your body more structurally unstable um, and in pain as time goes on. And if your shoes are higher at the back than they are at the front, what that does is it's putting your foot in a constant state of what we call plantar flexion, like pointing downwards. 
shortens the calves, shortens the hamstrings, stops your pelvis and hips from moving properly, puts pressure into the lower back, pitches the upper body forwards. So whole body pain can be caused by, or in, and often is caused by, the shoes that we're wearing. So um, my kind of blanket advice would be start wearing barefoot shoes and spend more time barefoot. However, and I've heard this so many times, I'm acutely aware of the fact that for some people, they are so dysfunctional in their feet that if they spend time barefoot, they may feel worse. The problem isn't that they're barefoot, it's that their body is hearing these signals. It's been crying out to hear, to be heard for many, many years. So, you know, if you don't wear your insoles and your back pain gets worse, the answer is not to wear insoles more and for longer. The answer is to ask yourself, what muscles do I need to wake up in my foot so that my back stops hurting? Um, so I am aware of the fact that going cold turkey barefoot for some people is not the answer. They may have to do some like rehab stuff before they're able to do that. However, long term, that's always my plan for my clients. But there is stuff in between that would need to happen. And I think thirdly, if I was going to give one more advice, one more tip on improving your posture, probably think about your breath, because the more I delve into this, and I'm really, I mean, I don't think of myself as an expert in anything, because I hate that phrase, but the more I delve into this, the more I realize that breath is at the crux of absolutely everything we do. You know, every single day we're breathing thousands and thousands of times. And, um, you know, the mechanisms by which we breathe dictate our posture and our movement. So we have to be able to breathe well um, in order for our body to hold itself correctly. So, you know, I have lots of people that um, have like pelvic floor issues and stuff like that. And they'll go and see these specialists who are normally mainly focusing on giving them kind of Kegel type exercises without looking at that like whole vacuum within the torso, which is held into place by the pelvic floor below the diaphragm above the sides of the torso the belly the abdomen and the back all of these things need to work and be balanced in order for the pelvic floor not to just kind of plop out because it's a vacuum that's held in place by all these different sort of forces around it so breathing can impact so much um, movement wise but also nervous system wise so so much of what I'm doing with my clients is unpicking their nervous system's response to how it wants to react to something like I said earlier like someone wants to move their foot and the whole upper body kind of clings on and compensates and tightens that can be really helped by breath and that is something that needs to be like worked out before we then up the load and the demand on the body so three things spend a bit less time in a chair I think that's very easy uh, for most people. Secondly, really consider your shoes. Are they healed? Are they making your feet and the rest of your body weaker? And thirdly, breath work, breath work, breath work, breath work. It's really important. Yes. Um, and the longer you spend following like Ellie's work or if ever you get to like work with Ellie at all, if ever you think, do you know what, I'm just going to try it. <laughs> the more you will be open to these things. Like I always used to sit in my chair. Like I've got a wheelie chair that Brad sits in now. He he can have shit posture, not me. And um <laughs> well, he was complaining about his hips being tight. So well, yeah, exactly. But like I never ever ever sit in a chair when I'm working now. Only the odd occasion I might sit on the poof in the lounge. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I'm sat on the floor right now. I'll lie on my tummy, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. I'll put myself in positions where, you know, I fidgeted quite a lot throughout this uh, podcast because 
my body almost gets uncut you know I'm fighting discomfort because my yeah. body you know doesn't want to sit like this it's like yeah. where's the chair you know but actually that discomfort is a good thing it's it's my body you know being more um receptive to movement so if you can telling you move me please move yeah. me please because it's uncomfortable which is what we need to listen to whereas your soft chairs allow you to like melt into them so that you don't have that same kind of signal from your body but this isn't a thing to absolutely demonize chairs there's nothing wrong with being sat down there's nothing more wrong with being sat down than there is like going for a walk or doing a squat the difference is what are you doing most of the time and for most people it's being sat your your body is designed for variety of movements over the course of the day so sitting isn't the problem it just so happens that sitting is culturally the thing that we do most of so therefore it becomes the problem because we're like frozen in that sitting shape yeah yeah, absolutely. And I think like just going back to the simple tips that you've given about uh, like improving your posture, like for anyone listening to this, it's this, like I kind of give the same advice when people, you know, want to hit their step target and they're really struggling. Stop thinking about hitting 10,000 steps a day. Like stop thinking about spending the whole day stood up. Think about like the small little things you do each day. Do you work in London? Do you hop on the tube? Do you stand up or do you sit down? Like just spending that three minute journey being stood up. Yeah can make the world of difference you know and just simple little things like are you driving to work when you could actually walk like make that effort and the things will change but just don't walk in big poofy girly shoes well unless your body currently needed to do so but with the plan that you're going to do the rehab so that you don't need the poofy shoes <laughs> on. um awesome this has been amazing so Ellie, can you just point people in the direction of like how to get in touch with you? Also, I just want to add in here because a lot of people ask me this, like, why would you go and see somebody like you? Can you just label off the typical types of pain and things that people come to you for? For example, like one of my clients recently um, said that she's got, what's the thing, the, the pain that you get in the back of your foot, the heel? Achilles tendonitis? Yes. No, not the tendonitis, the plantar fasciitis. Yeah. yeah, so like things like that. Can you just reel off a load of things that people come to you with labelled um, like diagnosis? Because I think that might help people to understand like what you can do, if that makes sense. Okay, long list. I'm being a bit facetious, but I'm going to start at the top and work my way down to the bottom. Okay. I deal with migraines, headaches, vertigo, tinnitus, um, uh, TMJ, neck pain, cervical herniations, frozen shoulder, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, carpal tunnel, ganglion cysts, um, ankylizing spond, I never know how to say this, spondylosis, uh, scoliosis, uh, lumbar herniations, hip pain, like everything, ACL injuries, meniscus injuries, uh, Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, bunions, Morton neuroma, digestive issues, breathing issues, sleeping problems, pelvic floor issues. Like honestly, the list goes on and on because all of these things are symptoms of musculoskeletal imbalance. Whatever label that they have, they are all symptoms of musculoskeletal imbalance. And what I say is if people do want to work with me, and I obviously would love people to work with me 
as you know, Angie, I asked everybody to read a book or listen to an audio book of uh, Pain Free by Pete Agoscu before they contact me, because the fact of the matter is this will not work for you unless you put the work in and the commitment and you have your expectations managed as to the fact that this isn't a quick fix you're not going to wake up next week and be cured you're not going to be able if you've had 10 years of like knee pain the reality is is that you're not going to be running a marathon in two weeks time it's, it's going to take time but the long-term rewards are worth it to have a pain-free life doing the things that you enjoy so the book is amazing because it outlines the theory and as you read it everyone's like oh my god well of course that makes so much sense like why has no one ever said this before it's so simple and logical um and it basically just helps people grasp okay if i'm going to do this i need to jump straight in and be willing to commit to this so i ask people to read the book because it sort of fishes out the people that maybe aren't motivated enough to read the book to start with, as well as helping them understand what this is all about. And then when they've done that, my website is uh, www.posture-le.com. I'm at posture.le on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. So they can kind of see the stuff that I'm about. I've got like literally hundreds of free exercises and stuff they can try out on my YouTube channel. I do online classes. I have online courses. There's loads of stuff that they can do first if they're not ready for that one-to-one -one therapy but once you start delving into it you'll be like oh she maybe she's got a point here I can feel that my body starts feeling better um so if you are interested then please do get in contact with me and I'd love to help people one-to-one -one. but I do ask that people read the book first because I don't want to just work with people who are curious I want to work with people who are really invested to change and I think the book just really helps outline that as well as having, by the way, loads of practical stuff in it and exercises that you can try, et cetera, um, that you can try on your own before you even pay any money towards anything because you can just do them on your own accord. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully my list, I could have gone on with the list of symptoms there, by the way, but I, I, like we were on a I felt like we were in a game show. Like I've got, you've got 60 seconds, go. <laughs> just list anything. But, and like just before we finish to say none of those symptoms mean anything. So yes, I've dealt with this huge breadth of random symptoms that people have, but never once was I fixing that person's uh, arthritis in their knee. Never once was I focusing on their TMJ. Never once was I focusing on their frozen shoulder. They are symptoms of another problem. So the symptoms are not what I'm focusing on whole body movement is what I'm focusing on and then as a byproduct of that the symptoms go away mm. and I just wanted to also add on to that because obviously I've worked with Ellie and I've had a couple of um she they call it in the Agoski world uh menus so it's yeah. basically a program and I've had quite a few different programs now and to anybody I mean people often say like what is it what does it look like the one thing I would like encourage you to do and Ellie's just said it is go to her YouTube and just watch some yeah. videos so you can see it's not they're not exercises that you're going to get like out of breath with I mean you might but hold it we're trying to we're trying to focus on our breath and not get out of breath yeah and they're also not exercises where you're not doing anything like whilst it might look like the smallest movement in the world like I've got one in my menu at the moment where literally I'm just like rocking my feet up onto the toes and uh, back onto the heels and it looks like I'm doing nothing but oh my god the amount of work that's going in and the shaking in my body is just insane so whilst it might look like the smallest movement in the world you've got so much going on so 
be open to it be curious give a couple of her videos a go if you're just like curious about it but yeah if you want to get you know in touch with her then I'm afraid you have to read a book first <laughs> no but the thing is is that I get it I understand it the thing is is that the book is actually exciting like yes. for the right clients they're like oh okay cool so I haven't got to spend lots of money I can spend 10 pounds I read this book and it makes me even more excited because this is making even more sense to me now so promise you it's a positive thing um to do it and yeah you can you can do so much self uh work from the book because of how much practical stuff is in there as well yeah amazing um so obviously i'll i will drop all of your like links and stuff in the show notes so people can get in touch with you um but yeah thank you so much for coming on it is always a pleasure to chat to you and um yeah just thank you thank you very much Angela. it was lovely to be on and i'm sorry that i go off on all these rants so much but i can assure i can assure you i can never say the word assure my friends always take the mic because i say assure um but i can assure you that i only rant so much because I honestly feel so passionately about it like I see people making these changes in horrible situations all the time and therefore I really do care and I know that people can create change if they want to so that's why I rant so much but it's we we love your rants so (laughs) 